Well, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. We will be looking at this chapter in its entirety as we come close to the end of our series through the book of Joshua. Let me just tell you, before you resume your normal sermon listening posture, which may be a little slumped down, it may be the hand over the seat, it may be reaching forward, grabbing the coffee, crossing the leg, and getting relaxed, that is really not the posture you want to have for Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 And chapter 24, feel a bit like a holy moment. Like a moment in which you not only want to be physically present, but you want to be mentally present and spiritually present. A moment in which you want to be all in. In which every ounce of you is giving your full attention to what is happening in this moment. It feels like a moment in which you just need to be quiet and still, and attentive, so you don't miss a word. Because Joshua 23 and Joshua 24 are Joshua's last words. It emphasizes twice in the first two verses that Joshua is old and advanced in years. He doesn't have much time left. There are not many more words for Joshua to share. And it doesn't simply feel like the end of a life. It feels like the end of a generation. It feels like the moment we have here is not a moment that we're going to have many more times. The Joshua is in fact representative in the Old Testament of the greatest of greatest generations. We do talk as Americans about the greatest generation, those born between about 1900 and 1920 who experienced the Great Depression and World War II and saw so many changes uh, through their lifetime. And there's not many of them left. And when they speak, we want to listen. And There's literally no one in all of the Old Testament that experienced more than Joshua experienced. No one has been a part of of more defining moments in the history of God's people than Joshua has. You know, Joshua was born as a slave in Egypt. His parents had been slaves. His grandparents had been slaves. He was born into a family that knew nothing but slavery. Joshua remembers what it was like to be a slave. Joshua remembers what it's like in which the Lord came to visit his people and had declared that he was going to lead them out. Joshua watched all of the miraculous deeds of the Exodus and all of the plagues that were put upon them. Joshua was there for the Passover. Joshua was there when Pharaoh finally said he had had enough and he followed Moses as they went across the Red Sea and saw the sea part and they walked on dry ground. Joshua was a part of the people that looked back and saw Pharaoh's army quickly approaching, thinking that they were all of a sudden gonna be destroyed But then the waters close back and all of Pharaoh's army is destroyed. Joshua sees that. Joshua was Moses' closest assistant for over 40 years. Joshua was there at the bottom of Mount Sinai when Moses got the Ten Commandments. 
Joshua stood outside of the tent of meeting when Moses went in and met with the Lord and his face literally came out glowing because he'd been so close with the presence of God. Joshua was one of the 12 spies who saw the promised land that God had promised generations ago before anyone else had been able to see it. And Joshua was appointed the leader after Moses had died, and he led the people across the Jordan River as it parted as well. He was the last generation in Egypt and the first generation in the Promised Land. And now, at about 100 years old, Joshua musters all of the energy he has, and he gathers the leaders of the nation, he gathers all of the people of the nation And with everyone in a sense of awe and quietness and anticipation for the moment, Joshua says these words found in verse 2. He says, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left that you may not mix with the nations remaining among you or make mentions of the name of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you. They shall be a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now Joshua says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. These words from Joshua are profoundly simple. They're (laughs) profound in that 
They're spoken by Joshua, this almost 100-year-old man who is in the Old Testament the greatest man that we see in the Old Testament. The closest picture of Jesus we get in the Old Testament is Joshua. Everything he is saying at this moment in his life is profound. It is profound because it comes out of years and years of faithfulness and experience. He has seen the best of the best and the worst of the worst. But it is simple in that he doesn't say anything new. (laughs) He brings us back to the old ways. He brings us back to the original commands. And I have to say, although I came to this text and was hoping for something profoundly new, I'm really glad what we got is something profoundly old and simple. Because I don't want Joshua to come to the end of his life and say, at the end of it all, I discovered the secret. I I got something that God never gave me before. No, I don't want him to say that. What I want him to say is this, at the end of my life, I have come to the realization that it's just not that complicated. I remember as as a college student going through Christian bookstores, remember there used to be Christian bookstores, and I would walk through and I was looking for books and I remember thinking to myself, Lord, what is, what's the secret of this life? Like, how does this work? I just want to know and hoping that I would find some book to tell me the secret. Little did I know that, that there is really no secret. It's the profoundly simple ways of the Lord, which Joshua reminds us of. And if you were to take all that Joshua says in the summary of his life and everything that he experienced, you could summarize it in this one statement. Here it is. God is good, and you can trust him. That's Joshua 23. God is good, and you can trust him. Do I have more than one person who believes that this morning? I'm thankful for the one. I'm just hoping it'll stir up the many. What an amazing thought. A hundred-year-old man just gets up and says, let me just tell you the one thing I've learned. God's really good. You can always trust him. He he always does what he says he's going to do. And there there are three phrases in Joshua 23 that I think point us to the faithfulness and goodness of God. I want you to write these down. The first phrase that reminds us of this profoundly simple truth is the little phrase, the Lord your God. Look in verse three. It says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Now, you might begin to think that This is just mentioned a couple of times in Joshua 23, right there at the beginning of verse 3. But as you continue to read through this chapter, what you realize is 13 times, in 16 verses, 13 times, Joshua says, the Lord your God. And the reason is, is because every time he says that, he's reiterating something that they must understand. And that is this, we have a covenant-keeping, promise-making God, who makes an oath to us and is committed to bring us in and to choose us and to adopt us into the family and make us his people. The Lord, the sovereign one over all, the creator of heavens and earth, has chosen to make you his special people. He has chosen to put all of his love and all of his affection and all of his attention upon you. He is the Lord, your God. And in the same way, we can still say this morning, 
This is a book about the Lord, my God. If you know Jesus Christ, you can say, all these promises are from the Lord, my God. We can say this morning, this is a book about the Lord, our God. This is not some distant and aloof God we cannot know. This is a personal, promise-keeping, covenant-making God that is yours if you know Jesus Christ. He wants them to know, this is all about the Lord, your God. He chose you. Not because of anything that he saw in you, But out of his love and kindness and grace, he called you out in order that he might pour out his goodness and grace on you so that everyone else might come to know him by seeing how he relates with you. Listen to what Moses tells the people in Deuteronomy 7. Listen to these words. He says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 2 makes it clear that everything that is said here is said of you as a New Testament believer. He's your treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Why has God brought you out of slavery? Why has God brought you into a good place? Why has God poured his love and his grace upon you? Because he made a promise to do it and he has chosen you not because of anything he saw good in you, but simply out of his kindness and grace. So that by manifesting himself to you and your life, those around you might also be drawn to him. He is a covenant-keeping God who commits himself to you, who is committed to be with you and to make sure that he finishes what he starts in your life. You say, how do we have the confidence of Philippians 1.6? He who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus because he's not just the Lord God, he's the Lord your God. And when he saved you, he made a commitment to you. Just as we read in John 10, he calls you his own. He brings you into the fold. And up till this point, he has never lost one sheep. And he won't lose one. He's a covenant-keeping God. It's constant emphasis on the fact that God makes promises by saying he is the Lord, your God. But the second little phrase in Joshua 23 that reiterates the goodness and faithfulness of God is, is the phrase, just as the Lord has promised. Write that down. Just as the Lord promised. I keep seeing this as I was reading. I kept noticing this word, just. Verse five, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 10, One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it's the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Verse 15, but just as all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning all that he's fulfilled in you, and he continues to talk about all the Lord has done. Four different times, there is this word just connected with the word promise. You see, the fact that it is the Lord your God means that he's made a commitment to you, he's made a covenant with you, that he is your God. And the fact that he says he always does just as he promised means that the fact that he has made these promises to you and a covenant to you 
helps you be aware of the fact that not only does he make promises, he keeps them. And not only does he keep them, he keeps them exactly how he said he was going to keep them. I love the constant emphasis on the Lord did just as he said he was going to do. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He didn't miss one. The Lord does exactly what he says he's going to do. And there's all these examples of this that Joshua reminds them of. He he says, first of all, in verse 5, the Lord has, has fought for you just as the Lord said he was going to do. So interesting to me, when you read back in Numbers chapter 13, where the spies went out into the promised land and they came back and here's what they said. They said, listen, it's just like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of abundance. They bring back some of the spoils, these grapes they're carrying, all of this a testimony that God said it was wonderful. And listen, it's wonderful, but there's giants over there. And they're bigger than we are, and they're stronger than we are, and their armies are mightier than we are, and we look like grasshoppers to them. And let me tell you something, they were exactly right. They were bigger, they were stronger, and the people of Israel, who were few in number, looked like grasshoppers to them. The people of these nations in the promised land were not intimidated by the people of God. But what the people of God failed to remember is the promise that God had made them. Yes, you are smaller. Yes, you look like grasshoppers to them, but you've forgotten. I've made a promise that I'm going to fight for you. So it's not just you who are going in. It's you who are going in with me on your side. And when I'm on your side, there is not a bigger nation. There is not a stronger army. It is impossible for you to be defeated if I'm with you. But that generation saw big nations and a small God. And they missed out on the good things that God wanted to do. Do you realize the previous generation could have had all the goodness of God? They could have experienced everything the Lord had for them, but they missed it simply because they did not believe God would keep his word. This generation went into the promised land, even though they were fewer in number, even though their armies weren't as great, and destroyed all of their enemies. Why? Because they simply believed the promise of God that he will do just as he said he was going to do. If the Lord says he will fight for you, the Lord will fight for you. They're experiencing what happens when you take God at his word. I love verse 14. Joshua says, now I'm about to go the way of the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, you know, he says, all of you know that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Just as you promised, I have done. Every word has been kept. Nothing has failed. Not one of them, it says, has failed twice. Exactly what he said at the end of chapter 21 when he brings them into the land and he shows them all their inheritance, he said every single promise God made, he fulfills. Listen, he is a covenant-keeping God. He makes promises and he fulfills them just like he said he was going to. He is a faithful God. The third phrase in Joshua 23 is the little phrase, the good thing. So there's this phrase, the Lord your God, just as the Lord promised. And then this last phrase is the good things of the Lord. It's it's in verse 13. 
He says, they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip to your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off of the good ground the Lord has given you. What, what is this land that they're living in? It's the good, the good ground of the Lord. He says in verse 14, all of you know that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised. All have come to pass. And just as all the good things, verse 15, the Lord your God promised have been fulfilled. And then he says again, the good land the Lord God has given you at the end of 15 and the end of 16, the good land that he has given you. He's saying, listen, all the gifts of the Lord are, are good gifts. That what God has done for you and what God has given you and what you're experiencing right now in the land is a testimony of the good gifts of the Lord. He is faithful and he is good. Look at this little phrase. I, I want you to notice in verse 3. He says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. I, I love these three words, for your sake. I love those words. I love it because as you read the whole narrative of scripture, what you come to realize is this, everything God does, God does for his glory. God is concerned about making a name for himself. He wants his name to be made known. So God saves us, he delivers us so that his name might be made known. Everything God does, he does for his glory and for his namesake. But I love this, that even though everything God is doing, he is doing for the sake of the glory of his name, he is also doing it for the sake of pouring out goodness upon his people. You say, why did God bring you into this land? He said, for your sake, because I wanted you to experience the goodness. I wanted you to be in the promised land. I wanted you to be my people in my place. I wanted you to experience my presence. I wanted you to fulfill my purposes. That God loves to do good things for his people. Listen, do you realize you will never fully trust the Lord unless you absolutely believe that God loves to do good things for his people. He is a good God. Last Saturday morning, I got a text from one of my closest pastor friends. He's a pastor in Houston. He said, Josh, I'm just reflecting upon this verse in Psalm 84, verse 11. It's just so hard for me to believe this is true. It's such a magnificent promise. He said, I pray that we would both take hold of this. It says this, the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to this, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? For those who walk in purity before the Lord, for those who walk with the Lord, he constantly is pouring out good things. Why? Because Psalm 100 says the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. I got this little weird thing going on in my, just kind of in my soul, my spirit these days. Ryan and I were talking about it. Things have been so good and just so encouraging and God's done so many good things. I kind of just have this sense like I'm waiting for something terrible to happen. Do you, you're, you know what I'm talking about? And like I'll walk in on a Sunday morning and I'll think, this is it. Like I move the chairs, this is gonna be the thing. Something's gonna be the thing. Like I keep waiting for the thing, like whatever it is. And let me, let me just tell you, before God, last week the Lord really convicted me of that. Like why do I need to walk in fear of the end of good things. Here's, here's what I need to fear. I need to fear that somehow I might stop walking with the Lord and I might walk in sin. And as a result of that, God is no longer pouring out the good things because I'm not walking uprightly. But I need to walk with the confidence as I seek the Lord and walk with him and want more of him. He will continue to allow us to experience more of his good things. You don't have to fear the next catastrophe that is coming. 
Because perfect love casts out all fear. God is a perfect, loving God. Will there be difficulties? Yes. Will there be hard times? Yes. Will there be valleys? Yes. But even in the midst of those, we can be confident as we walk with Jesus, we will continue to experience his goodness. He is a good God. And I love the reminder here that we can not only trust his word, we can trust his heart. What do I mean by that? Well, well, his word tells us that he's a promise-keeping God, but we can also trust the heart of our God who says, listen, he says, I love you, and I'm good, and I'm kind, and I'm generous, and I'm longing to pour out good gifts upon you. You know, there, there is no generation that experienced the goodness of God more than this generation. You know, this is, this is the pinnacle of, of the Old Testament. Everything goes downhill after Joshua 24. You know that? Like the next generation loses everything. Like the rest, the rest of the Old Testament, catastrophe. You should still read it, but this is as good as it gets. Like right here, everything else is depressing. This is as good, this is the moment. This is it. This is as good as it gets. But do you know that even in this moment, Joshua says to the people, God wants to give you more? He wants you to experience more. Look at what he says in verse five. Let's start, start in verse four. He says, behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the West. So he's saying, we've already taken all these nations, but do you know there's more nations for us to take? The Lord, your God will push them back before you. This is future tense. He's going to do this and he will drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. What Joshua is saying is this, there's still more goodness. There's still more to receive. There's still more of God's abundance. You see, Joshua knows that their present experience is a result of their continued faithfulness. Previous generation didn't do it. This generation was faithful. They trusted the Lord. They experienced God's goodness. But what he's saying to them is this. Listen, there's still more goodness for those of you who continue to trust and follow him. This is why in the midst of all of these reminders, he's pleading with them to stay faithful. Because he knows that every time we experience some of the goodness of God, it's just a taste of how much more he wants to give us. He gives us these little tastes. By the way, I think this is the beauty of corporate worship. The reason I want the lights up and the reason I want us to be happy and the reason I want us to be loving Jesus and the reason I want there to be joy in this place because I want you to come to church and get a little taste of what it's like to walk with Jesus and I want you to then go home and say, I want more of that. I want want every time we gather for you to feel and hear from this word a little taste of what it's like to get in the word of God, a little taste of what it's like as we did a minute ago to be quiet before the Lord and pray, a little taste of what it's like to respond and surrender to the Lord. I want this to be a taste to get your appetite stirred up so you'll go after more of it. What he's saying is this, you've got a taste, but there's so much more and you experience that as you walk with the Lord in faithfulness. So so look at verse six, he says this, he says, so therefore, because there's so much more, be strong and and keep to do all that is written in the book of the law, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left. And you know what? That brings us all the way back to Joshua 1, 7, where he says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all that I've commanded you, not turning to the right or to the left. All of that is right there. Same thing, he brings us back to the profoundly simple truths. And then in verse seven, he says that you may not mix with these nations 
remaining among you. I want you to stay holy and pure. I don't want you to look like the rest of the world. I want you to look distinct. I don't want you to serve them or bow down to them. Verse 8, but you shall cling to the Lord your God. We talked about that last week because he's just reiterating just what he said in Joshua 22, verse 5. Same old thing. Cling to the Lord. Grab on to him. Hold on to him. Make him the one thing that matters more than anything. The Lord your God has driven out before you great and strong nations. No man shall be able to stand before you to this day. One man puts to flight a thousand since the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Look at verse 11. So be careful to love the Lord your God. Now there's all these words that Joshua uses. Be strong, keep, do, cling. All of these different ways to really say the same thing. Kind of like Matthew 22, when Jesus says, do you know all of the law and prophets? You know what he means? Everything in the Old Testament can be summarized in this one thing. Love God with everything. So you can say keep, you can say do, you can say cling, you can say be strong and create. You can say it however you want to. But the whole point that Joshua is trying to make is this. If you want to continue to experience the goodness of the Lord, walk in holiness and purity before God and make him the primary pursuit of your life. Love him more than you love anything else. And anytime something tries to creep in and cling on to your heart that is not of the Lord, don't hold on to it. Let it go. Cling on to the Lord. And as you do, he will continue to allow you to experience his goodness. He's saying what he says really in verse 11. Just be careful to keep loving your God. I think the reason that Joshua does this is because He's got some experience here. You know, Joshua was the leader of the people who followed the Lord and got all of the promises. Man, they just got it. They entered into the promised land. They loved God. They obeyed. They believed. They saw the Lord fight for them, and they experienced God's best. But listen to me. When you've lived long enough, like Joshua has, and you've experienced what he's experienced, as excited as you are about this moment and the good thing God is doing, you're also a little bit worried knowing that if you don't keep walking with the Lord, God can take every bit of this away. This is a message for our life. This is a message for our church. This is why he warns them over and over because he was a part of the generation that didn't trust the Lord. He was also a part of the generation that didn't follow the Lord. And what happened? All of these same things were available to them, but they all died in the wilderness because they didn't believe the Lord. Look at the word picture in verse 13. All of us need to hear this. Students, I want to ask that you specifically listen to what the Lord says here. I I, I hope that somehow these words can get in your heart now so it will spare you from a ton of pain and junk later. Look at verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you if you fail to cling to the Lord. He says, but they shall be. Now, if you circle in your Bible, circle four words here. They will be a snare Circle that, a snare. And a trap for you. Circle that word. They will be a whip on your side. Circle the word whip. And thorns in your eyes until you perish from the good ground the Lord your God has given you. Snare, trap, whip, and thorn. Those four words are used to describe what sin does to you. Sin is a snare and a trap for you. It keeps you from making progress. It brings you down. It brings pain upon your life. But look at these two next word pictures. Sin is a whip to your side and a thorn in your eye. 
That's a good word picture. Sin is like getting a whip on your side and a thorn in your eye. And the contrast here is so significant because what Joshua is trying to get you to do and the Lord is trying to get you to do this morning is say this, I'm gonna choose to follow the path of the Lord with all my heart because there is goodness there. And also know that when I choose to walk in sin, there is there a snare and a trap and a whip and a thorn. That's sin. And some of the older folks can say amen to that. Amen? It's true. I've been doing a lot of counseling lately, more than I'd like to do, to be honest with you. And let me tell you two realizations that have come to me over the last couple of weeks, walking through people who've made some really bad decisions. Number one, and I'm not supposed to say this word because there's little kids in the room, but I can say it in this context, and parents, you can forgive me. Sin just makes you do really stupid things. I sit here and I listen to these people, and I think, do you realize how dumb you sound? That you, you are making the most stupid decisions, and anyone with a lick of sense would know how stupid this is. And they would look down the path and realize this does not end well. But sin blinds them to the trap and the thorn and the whip, and they just don't see the stupidity of their decisions. Number one. Number two, sin makes everything complicated. Sin makes everything complicated. It just messes up everything. Can I have some amens to that? Amen. Sin just complicates things. What he's saying is this, you've got a path here. You can choose the way of the Lord in which he continues to pour out goodness, but if you choose to continue to walk in sin, just know this, that as a natural consequence of your sin, the Lord will allow you to experience the whip and the snare and the thorn and the trap of sin. Let Let me explain it this way. We live in a broken world, okay? Life is hard. And believers are not immune to that. This is where we mess up sometimes in thinking. We live in a world in which sin exists and pain exists and death exists and trouble exists. It's a broken world. And and we will not be out of that broken world until the Lord comes back. So because we live in a broken world and are broken people, life's hard. You get sick. People die. You get disappointed. But in the midst of this broken world, the same God that fought for Joshua and the people of Israel is the same God who has fought for you in Jesus Christ. And what he's done is this. Jesus Christ has come to fight a battle that you could not win on your own strength, the battle over death and sin and hell. And what he wants to do in your life is in the midst of all of the brokenness to begin to make you whole. So that while you're experiencing all of the natural brokenness that exists in this world, you might at the same time be experiencing wholeness, and new life, and joy, and goodness because of what God is doing in you. God will not take all of the problems away from around you, but God will continue to do a work in you that makes you into a new creation. And as you trust him, and as you give yourself more fully to him, then he continues to make you more and more new. And what the Lord does is this, is he has come, Jesus has come, to take up on himself all of hell's worst so that he can allow you to experience all of heaven's best. That he wants to take your sin and he wants to replace it with righteousness. He wants to take your hell and he wants to replace it with heaven. He wants to take your shame and give you glory. He wants to take your death and give you life. He wants to take your pain and give you healing. This is what Jesus has come to do. 
And as you trust him, you begin to experience more and more of that. He is inviting you into more of his goodness as you walk more fully with him. So every, every Monday morning, I've told you this before, but right here, our staff gathers at 8.30 in the morning, we just pray. And I think Monday morning is significant because we want to come back and give the Lord the glory for Sunday morning. We want to make sure that we know that this didn't happen because we did good, but because God is gracious and kind. And, and we pray for you. And we pray many times by name. We pray for your protection and your sanctification and all of that. We just, we just pray for God's continued blessing. But I was telling our staff a couple of weeks ago that all of a sudden, just God has given me so much more desire for him, more than I've ever had before. I just want more of the Lord, more of his presence, uh, more experience of his goodness and kindness and grace and just more of him. And what I sense the Lord saying to me is this, I'm going, Lord, I want more of you. And the Lord's saying to me, okay, well, I want more of you, which is not what I wanted to hear. I told our staff two weeks ago, I said, I believe that my current time in the Lord is not sufficient to handle what God wants to do in our church. That God wants to do this, but in order for God to do that, I've, I've got to go here. I've got to pray more and fast more and read more and give more. Because God is opening up more, but he's saying in order for you to receive that, you've got to give more. This is the way in which it works. God is saying there's so much more of my goodness I want to give to you. And he's inviting you to give yourself more fully to him. And the only way that you'll ever give yourself more fully to him is if you believe at the very core of your being, listen, God is good and you can trust him. We've been singing this song lately. There are some songs that are just anointed songs. That, and, and this is one of them. It says, all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. And so with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And here's what Joshua 23 is. Joshua 23 is an old man who's experienced it all at the end of his life simply saying this, God is good and you can trust him. He has never let me down. Joshua is a witness to the goodness and the kindness of the Lord to plead with you to walk more faithfully with him so that you might experience every good gift God has. I promise you, he will not disappoint you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.